Welcome to the official broadcast of Life Fellowship Ministries in Kima, Texas. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. Be sure to visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I've been anticipating with great excitement uh, this morning's message. But before I jump in, let's recite our mission statement at Life Fellowship. It is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And so that's the target, that through this relationship with Christ, we impact the world around us by helping others. But it begins with this transformation that happens in our life. And our vision, our goal is to what? To make disciples who will impact the world with the love of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's jump in here. Um, uh, Again, I want to thank all of you that participated in the fast and took time out to seek the Lord and uh, uh, seek his heart. There, there have been several people that have mentioned to me that they've received clarity from the Lord on some things, decisions in their lives, or you know, just things that are going on. And and I know that it's a challenge for all of us. We live in a very busy world, and it's a challenge for all of us to carve out time and say, you know what, I'm going to take some time to spend with the Lord. But I hope that it's not just in January that we take some time to fast and pray, but that we will do that throughout the year. Just as the Lord leads, there are times when I'll fast for 12 hours or 24 hours or two days or whatever. Uh, I just feel like I need to spend some time with the Lord. And especially if you're going to make an important decision like a, a job change, career change, or something like that, some, some big decision, it's always good to take some time and seek the Lord and ask Him what He wants because you may have two job, uh, two job opportunities in front of you and one may look better than the other, but the Lord may say, take this one over here because you never know what's going to happen. And how many times have you said, Lord, God, get me out of this jam, when if we would have taken time to pray and say, God, what do you want? Maybe we could avoid some of the pitfalls that we step into sometimes. So we're in this series, God First, and uh, the, the beginning of the series, we talked about fasting because we were getting ready to jump into this 21-day fast, and then we talked about giving of our time, and last week we uh, talked about giving of our talents. And uh, if you remember, we talked about the, uh, uh, the master that gave the servant uh, three servants, one five bags of silver, one two bags, and one one bag of silver. And the, the guys that had the, the five and the two, they did well. And so what did the master say? He said, I will give you more responsibility. And, and so when we come into this place of understanding that when we yield our hearts and lives to him, he does amazing things through our lives, but he also gives us things to use, not for our own selfishness, but to build the kingdom of God and to help others. And as we're just a conduit, allowing him to work through our lives and pour through our lives, we are the beneficiaries of the blessings, but also others are as well. So this morning, I want to talk about giving of our treasures. So we talk about, from time to time, giving of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And this morning, I want to talk about giving our treasures. The Lord knows what we need. And when we begin to recognize Him as the provider, and that we are not the provider for ourselves, 
But when we recognize his role that as a provider, then there's, there's a release, there's some freedom in that because we can just trust him to provide all of our needs. Uh, let's go to Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Why? Because they don't have trust in the Lord. They don't have this relationship knowing that God is going to provide for them. And so those, those that don't believe in the Lord are often worried about, you know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? All those kinds of things. And there's a lot of Christians that worry about those same kinds of things as well. So we need to trust God. He knows, our Heavenly Father knows what we need. These are things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. And finally, verse 33 here, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and He will give you, what? Everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God first. Seek this relationship with Him, Live righteously. How are we made righteous? By the blood of Christ, right? He washes over us and, and we're saved and, and uh, we're made righteous by the blood of Christ. So we have a responsibility. Our role is to seek God and follow his plan. That's pretty simple. And his role is that he provides everything we need. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how it works out, but it's really not that difficult. And so... Now, when we talk about uh, God providing everything that we need, it's not permission to neglect our responsibilities or family. It's not permission to, to say, well, God's going to provide, so I'm just going to go fishing every day, or I'm going to lay out on the beach and read a book. We have a responsibility, but as we talked about last week, those that are faithful with a little, he will give more. So what are you doing with the things that the Lord has given you, whether that be your time, your talents, or your treasure. Because as we yield our hearts and lives to Him, He does amazing things. He takes what little we have and He expands it. He, Second uh, Thessalonians 3.10 says, Even while we were with you, we gave you this commandment. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. So we're all called to do a job. We all need to go out and work and, and things like that. But we realize that that's just doing our part because the Lord has given us everything. He's given us life. He's given us breath. He's given us giftings. He's given us provision. He's given us the ability to work. He's given us jobs to work at. And I've shared with you guys before how God opened up, created a job for me in a situation where there was a hiring freeze. And so God can do those kinds of things if we will just get out of the way sometimes and say, God, I'm just going to seek you, and I'm going to follow your plan. I'm going to let you be God, and I'm just going to be me. And, and it's all going to work out. So God says that he gives us everything, and he says of, of our first, of our increase, that we're to give him 10% back. That's a pretty good deal. Let me read on here. In, in the Bible... Uh, the tithe, many times we see the tithe, and what that means is 10%. So we give the tithe. It belongs to the Lord. We're not giving that. We're returning the tithe to the Lord. My first point this morning is the tithe, the first 10% of our increase, belongs to the Lord. It's His. So in Genesis chapter 14, 
we, we read the account of Abram and uh, Lot. Uh, many of you know the story that Abram had his nephew Lot with him. And uh, they were so blessed that all of Abraham, or Abram's at this point in time, Abram's flock was getting dispersed with uh, Lot's flock, and, and they needed more room uh, to feed the animals and take care of their families and stuff. So uh, one day, uh, Abram says to Lot, look, you know, we need to split up. We need, we need a little more space between us. And he tells Lot, he says, take whatever, whichever area you want to go to, and I'll go the opposite direction. So Lot looks, and he sees the, the area towards Sodom, and he's like, ah, oh, that looks pretty good. I think I'll go this way. And Abram says, okay, and I'll go this way. So sometime later, um, the king of Sodom was supposed to be paying taxes to another king. And for 12 years, he didn't pay taxes. He's like, I'm not paying taxes. Well, this king apparently got fed up with that attitude and gathered some other armies together. And they came and they took Sodom, the city of Sodom, captive. So they took all the people and all the, the, all the um, animals and, and all their possessions and everything. And they captured them. Well, Lot was there and he was part of what they captured. And so they take all these people off, and, and Abram gets, gets noticed that, that Lot has been captured, him and his family and his herds and all his possessions. And so Abram gathers 318 men together, and they chase him down. And, uh, and so they recover everything that th- these, this king has taken from them. Not only does a- uh, Abram get... Lot and his family and all of his possessions back, but also all the people that they, they took captive. So they come back, and let's jump in here in, in uh, Genesis 14. And by the way, uh, we know that Abram's name was changed to Abraham when God makes him a promise that his descendants will be, will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so Abram's name, uh, Abram means ex- uh, exalted father, and Abraham means father of many. Just a side note there, because eventually, uh, because of Adi, uh, Abram's obedience and desire to seek the Lord, God changes his name and says, you'll be a father of many and promises uh, descendants as, as many as the stars. But let's, let's look at Genesis fourteen seventeen. After Abram returned from his victory over Ketoleomer and his allies, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva. That is the, the king's valley. Okay, so, uh, and if you read on, I'm not going to read there, but, but the king comes and says, hey, take whatever you want, and, uh, you know, in appreciation for him getting everything back. And Abram says, I don't want anything. Just what my men have eaten and what they've taken. But I don't want you to ever say that Abram is blessed because of what I gave him. So that's a little later in the story. But uh, the point I want to get to here is, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. I think this is really interesting. A lot of people think that Melchizedek was Jesus, or represented Jesus. And what does he bring to Abram here? He brings him some bread and wine. What do we do when we have communion? We're celebrating the birth of Christ, I mean the resurrection of Christ, and we're partaking of bread. Well, we don't drink wine, grape juice, okay. But it represents the same thing. So I think it's interesting that Melchizedek brings 
Abram some bread and wine. Let's read on in verse 19. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered. So what we see is that Abram has realized that he wants to, to give back to the Lord. Because, listen, they had lost everything, right? Lot was gone. All of his flocks were gone. All their possessions were gone. And Abram was grateful that the Lord had, what, delivered him, had won this victory for him. So he's saying, I'm going to return 10% of the spoils back to the Lord. And so this, I, I hear people say, well, you know, tithing is Old Testament. This was 650 years before the law. This was even before the law was instituted by Moses. So this predates the law. Okay, so um, let's. The, the law was established in 1400 BC, roughly, and this was 650 years before that. Let's jump ahead uh, several hundred years to 1400 BC. Let's jump ahead 650 years and go to Leviticus 27:30. One tenth, and this is part of the law. One tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the uh, fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. And so this was part of the law. And the, the children of Israel, they had been given the law 1,400 years before Christ. So before, long before they even entered into the promised land, they knew what the law was. And, uh, and, and so God had given them uh, instructions on what belonged to the Lord and how they were to do that. And so if you go back and read Leviticus and, and Numbers and some of those uh, books, it talks about the law and, and the requirements and the things that they had to do. So they knew the law. So let's jump ahead another 100, uh, another 1,000 years to about 430 B.C. And the Lord uh, speaks to the prophet Malachi. And he's reminding the Jewish leaders and, and the nation, he's re, reminding the Israelites of his covenant with them, and then he's calling them back to him as well. Let's look at Malachi 3, 6, and 7. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to keep them. So God made a covenant with Abram, Abraham, and that's why God says, I, I don't change. That's why I haven't destroyed you guys, because I made this covenant with Abraham. And uh, he's, he's wanting them to come back into this relationship with the Lord. And then again, in, uh, we're going to go to Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. Many of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. But this is Moses talking to the children of Israel just before they enter into the promised land. And he says, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. I want you to live and not die. I want you to be blessed and not cursed. But I'm calling on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. 
Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Were they alive? He's talking to live people, right? So he must be talking about more than just physical life, right? Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Verse 20, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. So, God wanted to bless them tremendously. He wanted them to walk in the abundant provision. What does John 10.10 say? Jesus said, the thief is what come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you would have abundant life. Again, he's talking to people that are alive. So he must be talking on a spiritual level that not only are we alive, but we're living the abundant life. Not only when we get to heaven, but now, here and now, that we can live in the abundance that Christ died for. That we don't live a mediocre, marginal life, but we can live the full life that Jesus came to give us. And so we know that... uh, the, the Israelites, they would go and they would worship pagan gods and pagan idols and they would uh, get all caught up in these other tribes' cultures and they would turn away from God and then they would uh, go into captivity and then they would cry out to God and God would re- restore them and redeem them and uh, take them out of captivity and bondage and, and time after time they did that, time after time after time. But let's look at, at the uh, conclusion of Deuteronomy 30:20. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God had promised them this land, but as long as they turned away and followed after other gods and got caught up in all this stuff, uh, they would go in, into captivity and, and, and lose that privilege and honor. So the Lord had told them this over and over and over and over again. You can find more about this in Leviticus chapter 26, 1 through 13, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. And it's God's character to bless his children, those who love him, obey him, and commit firmly to him. His heart is for relationship with us. Not that we would keep every bit of the law and get all hung up in that, but his heart is that we have a relationship with him. In fact, let me, let's, let's look at Deuteronomy, a couple of verses in Deuteronomy 28. 1 through 14 are the blessings, and then uh, the blessings that come from following God. And then if you go back and read, I think it's 15 through like 60-something, those are the anti-blessings. That if they don't do these things, these are the things that, that will happen. They are an opposite impact of following the blessings of God. So let's just look at some of the blessings of God. Um, uh, Deuteronomy 28.1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. Is it conditional? It is. If. If you will keep my commands. Verse 2 says, you will experience all these blessings if, if you obey the Lord. And I've emphasized if here, because again, it's conditional. If we obey the Lord, we will enjoy all these blessings. And then he goes on to describe, well, let me go back to the scripture. We've talked about it before. What the scripture really means is he's telling them that the blessings of, of the Lord will overtake them. 
will track them down and tackle them. Would you like the blessings of the Lord to overtake you, to overwhelm you? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so he's telling them the blessings of the Lord will overtake them and and tackle them. And verse 3 through 14, imagine John Flowers coming at you about 20 miles an hour, and you're standing still. He could tackle you. That could be overwhelming. (laughs) Okay, Um, so in verses 3 through 14, he says that your towns will be blessed. What if you live in a city that's extremely blessed. Are you going to benefit from that? I remember when Harvey came through and we drove down the coast toward Corpus Christi and there were smaller communities there that were pretty much wiped out. They will, they will probably never rebuild because they don't have the resources. You come here to Houston and, and you're, there was a lot of damage here and there's still homes and, and uh, businesses and buildings that are damaged, but we have great resources here. And so it's important that our towns are blessed. We're praying for our communities Every week. And he says, your fields will be blessed. Your children will, will be blessed. Do you want your children and grandchildren to be blessed? Your crops will be blessed. Your herds and flocks will be blessed. Everything you, uh, everywhere you go, whatever you do will be blessed. That kind of covers it, all right? You say, well, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a rancher. Well, okay, how about this one? Everywhere you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. Does that cover it all? I think so. The Lord will conquer your enemies They will come at you one direction and scatter in seven. He will guarantee a blessing. He will guarantee a blessing over everything you do. He will fill your storehouses with grain. He will bless the land that you're living in. He will establish you as his holy people. He will establish us. Yeah, us as his holy people. The land will prosper. You will have many children, many livestock, abundant crops. He will send rain at the proper time for your crops. I have a friend that's a farmer. And I don't remember if he was, what he was raising, maize or grain or something, you know, some crop, something. Uh, But he was telling me that the moisture content in the heads of grain or in the the, uh, grain is reflective of the value of that crop. In other words, there's a certain uh, percentage of moisture that that grain has to have in it for an optimal price. So if it's too dry, then you don't get the optimal price. If If it has too much moisture, you don't get the optimal price. And so the Lord is saying he will send rain at the proper time for your crops. Now, I know this because I grew up in the country that you need to have some rain on the crops when you plant. And uh, you, you have, there's, there's a time frame where you have to get into the field to, to plant the crops. And if it's too wet, too wet to plow, have you ever heard that phrase? If it's too wet to plow, that's a problem. If you get too much rain, it can be a problem. If you get too much rain when you need to go harvest and you can't get into the fields to harvest, you've got a problem there as well. So who can control how much rain and water the crops get? Really only the Lord. Now I know there are irrigation systems and things like that. But back then, you know, they didn't have all that. And so the Lord is saying, I will cause it to rain at the right times, just what's needed. You will lend to other nations and never need to borrow. You will be the head and not the tail. You will always be at the top and never at the bottom. In summary, he says, I will bless everything. 
I'll bless everything in your life. So they should have understood this. So my first point, the tithe, the first 10% of our increase belongs to the Lord. Returning the tithe to the Lord is an act of obedience. It's really a matter of our heart. It's an act of obedience. Let's go back to Malachi. Uh, In chapter 1 in Malachi, by the way, the Lord rebukes them for dishonoring the Lord because uh, he says that he rebukes them for bringing stolen, crippled, diseased, sick sheep to offer to him. I mean, can you imagine? Hey, I need to go uh, offer something to the Lord. I'm going to go over here and steal some sheep. (laughs) I think they're missing something with this whole thing. It wasn't about taking somebody else's, uh, uh, you know, uh, sheep and and bringing them to the Lord. But they had this this cruddy attitude. Hey, you know what? They're going to sacrifice this animal anyway, so I'll just bring this old lame, crippled up animal up there. It's all diseased. It's blind. Maybe it's stolen. They had no regard for what the Lord had done for them. And that, that's, that was their heart. That was reflective of their heart. He said, try giving these gifts to your governor and see how pleased he is. Can you imagine uh, taking a half-baked cake or a half-eaten cake to the governor and say, hey, I, I want you to have this. Oh, thank you. That's all right. But that's, that was their heart. See, it, it wasn't about as much what they were bringing, although they knew the requirements for hundreds of years. They knew that they, for 1,400 years, they knew what the Lord was asking of them. But it was a reflection of their heart. It's a heart issue. So let's go to Malachi 3, 6 through 12. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. So we've talked about that. Okay, let's read on in verse 7. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return to you? How can we return when we have never gone away? Are you kidding me? You've never gone away? Do we need to count the times that you've turned away and that you've been in captivity and I've delivered you from those things and you have never turned away? Have you ever caught somebody with their hand in the cookie jar? What are you doing? I told you not to have any cookies. I was just had my hand in there. It felt good in there. Oh, I wasn't going to get a cookie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you're lying. Okay. Verse 7. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. I think I just read that. Okay. Let's read on. Um, So now return to me, and I will return to you. How can we return? We've never gone away. Verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? They knew that they were to bring the first and the best of their increase to the Lord, not the last, not sloppy leftovers or completely to neglect and ignore, but they knew what they were to do. Let's read on. You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Don't bring some. What does he say? Bring all. 
What is a storehouse? The storehouse today is the local church. This is where you get spiritually fed. Uh, it's not a televangelist. It's not United Way. It's not any of those organizations. They may be great organizations. But if you need prayer, if you need somebody to stand with you, if you need somebody to go to the hospital and see you, I doubt that a televangelist or United Way is going to do that. And so the storehouse is where you get your food, your spiritual food, and that's where we return the 10% of our increase to the Lord. That's how we do that. Let's read on. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse there will, so there will be enough food in my temple if, if, what? Is that conditional? Yeah. Yes, it is. If you do, says the lords of heaven army, heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will open the windows of heaven for you. That's a promise that God has given to us. Uh, Juan was talking about it. We have the promises. Let's proclaim the promises of God. But it's conditional if. Verse 10 continues. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to, to take it in. Then he says, try it. Put me to the test. It's the only place I know in the Bible where God says, test me in this. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to be so blessed. He wants our heart. And when, when we honor him, he is, he is more than generous to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask or think. And he's saying, I want to test your heart. Where's your heart? Where's your allegiance? Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. This is hundreds of years before insecticides. I will guard them. I will guard your crops against insects and disease. What man could have done that then? What man could even do that now, even with all the insecticides and pesticides and stuff that we have? Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they arrive, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Have you ever tried to, have you ever had a garden? <laughs> no? I have. It didn't go well. My dad had these huge gardens, probably as big as this room. I don't know why he had such huge gardens. But he would always get these wonderful crops, and we would grow tomatoes, and they'd have these little spider things all over them, and, you know, the birds would come and eat them, and, and they, you know, it didn't go well. So, anyway, your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the, the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 12, then all nations will call you blessed. For your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You know, Pastor Mohan has been here uh, from India, and he's told us, and maybe you guys too, that he's seen two nations that are blessed, heads above every other nation he's been to. That's Israel and, you, and the United States. And if you've ever been to a third world, world country, you know what we're talking about. That even a plastic cup that you get at Fuzzy's Tacos is worth something to them over there. Because they don't have we don't, we don't really understand the gravity of the blessings that we have living in this country. So there are numerous scriptures on tithing and returning the Lord all that belongs to him. Again, I've heard people say, well, that's Old Testament. That's under the law. Well, we, we see where Abram gave to Melchizedek pre-law, before the law was established. Now let's see what Jesus says in the New Testament, okay? And Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and he calls them hypocrites. Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you leaders of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. 
They were steeped in the law. They knew religion. They knew all these things. But yet they didn't live it. Their hearts were hardened toward God. And what he's saying is, your, your life is a sham. You're an actor. You're pretending to be something that you're really not. You're faking it. And they were supposed to be the ones that were representing God. And we've talked about this before. What are the three ways children and people learn? Example, example, example. What kind of example were these religious leaders and and Pharisees setting? Not a good one. Not reflective of the heart and the character of God. Let's look at verse 23 again. Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. They were so caught up in the law. Ooh, 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 let's give a little bit here. Oh, no, that's too much. Let me take some back. They were missing the heart of God. And they, Jesus tells them, well, let me read on here. Um, You should tithe, yes, but do not reject the more important things. So what Jesus is really saying is tithing is basic. It's fundamental. But you should also be concerned with the, the more important things like justice, mercy, and faith. So Jesus is having this conversation, and he said, you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. Tithing is a basic, fundamental demonstration of our relationship with the Lord. Now, tithing is an easy concept to understand, right? I think everybody understands that if God gives me $100, I give him back 10 That's pretty easy to understand. But it's a, a, a difficult choice for many Christians to make. It's so simple, but yet so many people don't do it. Why? Why don't people do that? Because I don't think they trust God. Or maybe they don't really believe the word of God. Maybe they're not willing to step out in faith. I don't know. It could be a, a myriad of different things. So my first point is the tithe, the first 10% of our increase belongs to the Lord. And my second point is returning our tithe to the Lord is an act of obedience. And number three, tithing releases the supernatural blessings from God. So what we've just read re- refers to those people back then that were planting crops and, and raising Uh, animals and things like that. But there is a supernatural blessing that covers us when we do that. And so when when we return to the Lord what belongs to him, this supernatural covering ends up being more of a blessing than the 10% that we're giving, that we're returning to him. What does he say? He said, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you cannot contain it all. That's his promise, if we will do what the Lord tells us to do. There are lots of testimonies here. I've given you numerous testimonies about how the Lord has blessed us and moved in our life. And please understand, this is not a prosperity message. Give to God and you're going to get something back. That's rooted in selfishness. That's not the, the heart and the character of God. But it's about, I want you to be blessed 
I want all of us to walk in the full blessings of God. What kind of pastor would I be? Oh, you know, someone may get their feelings hurt. Someone may get offended. You know what? I want you to be blessed. We unapologetically teach the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ. For it is the power of God bringing people into salvation who believe to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. I'm unashamed of the gospel because I know the power that it has to transform my life and other people's lives. And many of you know this, the first check we write every month, regardless of what the income coming into the the offerings are, is a $1,000 check goes to Israel every month, the first check we write. Because we want to bless those people and we're bringing them the gospel. And we, you know that we support other missionaries as well. But God has blessed this church. I mean, we don't have any debt at all. We don't own a building or land, but we don't have any debt either. And just so you'll know that we walked this out, Christine and I have been blessed. We don't have any debt either. None. Zero. Zip. Nada. So, you know, we can all be walking in that. Yes. If, but it starts with obeying. Let me give you some stats from 2018. Only 10 to 25% of Christians tithe. Think what the, the church is, not just this church, but every church could do. If nine times to four to nine times the people tithe that, that are tithing right now. I mean, think we would be able, churches would be able to hire the staff. They'd be able to buy land and buildings. They'd be able to, you know, do much more because God takes money and saves souls. God takes money and, and helps people grow. So, uh, okay, so only 10 to 25% of Christians tithe. Eight in 10 people that give to churches have no credit card debt. Why is that? I was thinking about that. I think there are two reasons. Especially people that tithe, they have that protective covering over them. And so as, as they return to the Lord, God keeps pouring into them. And they're able to be, become good stewards of what God has given them. Plus, they probably have learned some uh, basic principles to help them in, in being a good steward of their money and their resources that God has given them. We did a, a class a few years back on Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. And uh, we're thinking about doing that again because, frankly, a lot of Christians don't know how to handle their money. Right. They, don't, they don't do it well. So uh, eight out of ten people that give to the church have no credit card debt. And that, that's for us and the church as well. Uh, religious giving is down by approximately 50% since 1990. In 30 years, people giving has dropped by 50%. On average, Christians give, on average, Christians give 2.5% of their income. Is it any wonder that so many churches struggle and so many churches close? It takes money. To, to run a church. And I thought this was interesting. During the Depression, Christians gave 3.3%. When people didn't have jobs and people were struggling, Christians were giving more then than they are now. Look at the, our, our economy and everything. I know there are issues and problems, but most everybody has a job. You can find a job. Walk into Bucky's and it's like $15 an hour just to work at Bucky's. I mean... You know, people should be able to find a job. We live in one of the most blessed nations in the world. Yes. And many people say, I'm a Christian. 
Well, do you tithe? Oh, this was really interesting. Of families that make $75,000 or more, only 1% tithe. Of families that make $75,000 or more, only 1% tithe. I remember hearing a story, and I'm not sure of the numbers, but you'll get the gist of it. Uh, There was a guy that came to a pastor, and he said, Hey, you know, when I was making $300 a week, man, I was faithful in tithing, and, you know, I gave every week, and... And uh, now I'm making $1,000 a week, and I, I don't know. I just can't seem to, to tithe. I, I can't seem to let go. I don't know what it is. He, he said, uh, Pastor, would you pray for me? He said, yeah, I'll pray for you. Lord God, I pray that you reduce this man's salary back to $300 a week so he'll begin to tithe and obey you. So why is that? I, I don't know. Uh, you know. Okay, so when we return to the Lord, all that belongs to the Lord, he promises He promises to bless us. Let's go back to Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test, and watch what I do. So my fourth point this morning is tithing is a reflection of God's character in us. Again, this is not, this is not, this is not a prosperity message. Give $77 and you're going to get a Rolex and a BMW or any of that stuff. That's not biblical. It's, It's not even right. But this is about a heart. This is about our heart, guys. I want to see everyone experience the full and complete blessings of God. Maybe this will help me. Okay, here's, here's, no, you, well, you don't need to come up yet. Well, you can come on up. Come on up. I pull out $100 and she comes running. You know, I don't know. Okay. So here's, here's a $100 bill and here's a $10 bill. And this is the way a lot of Christians think about it. Oh, I've got this. Okay, the Lord says, I owe him this. But what if we had a change in our heart? What if it were more like, God, thank you for this $100. Thank you for blessing my life. It's my joy. It's my privilege. It's my honor to not only obey you, but to give back to you. Let me ask you, if I said, Here's $100 for anybody that will give me $10. Is there anybody in this room that would not take that deal? But yet a lot of Christians do that. What what did we read? 10 to 25% of Christians tithe, so that means 75 to 90 don't tithe. So what is their heart in that? Would you come up? I'll pay you $100. (laughs) Come on, come on. Okay. Well, let's, let's do this down here. That'll okay. be fine. Okay. So, let's face this way. Okay, we didn't practice this. I just verbally told her what I wanted. Hug, hugging thing? Okay. So, here's what a lot of people do. Oh. I'll take that too. La, 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 Okay, let's see.
And what people miss are the outstretched hands of God. These are the hands of God. Pretend that they are. They're not just to give me money, but they're to give me love. To meet my needs beyond the monetary. But so many, thank you, honey. Great job. I'll give you a hundred later. But what if we, what if we had the proper perspective on God's abundant blessings in our lives? Because, again, many of us think, okay, God give, has given me this. Now I have to give him this. But I think it's more like this. Oh, and here's my part that you're going to give back to me. Not only does he give us all of our resources, but then I found that he provides even what we're to return to him. Do you see how this thing works? If you can get it, if you can grasp it, it will change your life. Again, it's not about money, really, folks. It's about our heart. Are we obeying him? Do we have the right perspective? In, in Matthew, Jesus sums this up really well for us. Matthew uh, 6.21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You want to know where the desires of your heart are? Look at your checkbook. That'll tell you. Yeah, my desires are for this, for that, a new boat, fishing, uh, bowling, you know, drum set, you know, <laughs> whatever it looks like. So if you want to know where the desires of your heart are, Look at your checkbook. Look at where you're spending your money because that's reflective of your heart. So when we have the heart of God, it will change the life we live. Yep. Is it, let me ask you this. Is life more than money? Yes. <laughs> Money's only a small part of it. It's an important part, right, because we all need it to live. But God will take care of us when we do, when we obey him, when we return 10%. It seems like a small amount. It's larger than 2.5%. But think of all the things that we have to benefit from. We have this relationship. We have eternal life. We have blessings. God's healed marriages, healed lives, healed children, done all kinds of things that you cannot put a monetary value on. People being able to uh, move into a house and not have to pay anything down. And their mortgage is less than their uh, rent payment was. Going, finding a grant that pays them to go to school. <laughs> that pays them to go to school. Looking at a couple of houses and, and it not working out. And they, they buy another house. And then they drive through the neighborhood after Harvey and see that those two houses have flooded. The ones that they wanted to get, but their house didn't. How do you put a monetary value on that? How, how, can you, how can you resolve this? Other than, I mean, those are just two little examples, and I could give you dozens more. The thing is, is the focus of this message is not about money. It's about our heart condition. 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. We cannot live by God's power when we choose to reject God and live by our own power. 
I want to see everyone living by God's power. I want to see everyone walk in the blessings and the fullness of God, doing all that we can do. God gives us everything, and he says, I just want you to return 10% back to me, and I dare you to do it. Because when you do, I'm going to pour out blessings on you that you will not be able to contain. He gives us everything. And I I want to challenge you. If you're not doing this, if you're not tithing, I want to challenge you to, to give the first of your increase to him. Try it for three months. And if you don't see a marked improvement in your finances, come back and talk to me because you will be the first person, the first person that I know of. Every person that I know that has chronic financial problems does not tithe. I don't know of one person that faithfully ties that has chronic financial problems. Is there a correlation there? I believe there is. And again, I'd be a pretty cruddy pastor if I didn't teach you this. And what you do is up to you. This is not a manipulative teaching. This is not shame you into giving. It's not to guilt you into giving. My heart breaks when people refuse to give. Because Not because of the money, because of the condition of their heart. And I know the yes. blessings that they are missing out on. Yes. There are people that come to this church that don't give anything. They're not treated any differently than somebody that gives the most. And I don't even know who gives the most. So I don't care about that. What I care about is your heart. But they're treated no differently. They're loved and accepted. They have, they have access to the same benefits of everybody else. But what breaks my heart is that they're missing out on the full blessings of God. I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying God won't bless you if you don't tithe. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you're damning up and you're withholding, or God is withholding all the blessings he wants to pour into your life. Because can he trust you? Remember last week I talked about, again, the, the servant that got five bags of silver, the one that got two, and the one that got one. The one that got one bag of silver buried it, and the the guy that had five and two, they doubled. And the Lord said, I will give you more responsibility. Because if you can't handle a little bit, I'm not going to give you a bunch. And we have some very generous and gracious people here. And you know why? Because they see this truth work in their life. It's not just about the money. But it's about the joy and the benefit to give somebody some money and see the joy on their face. God blesses us to be a blessing, not to be a hoarder. And we can't bless other people if we don't have anything to bless them with. That's the heart of God. That we become extensions of Him and His love and His character, His grace, His giving. So I challenge you, if you're not tithing, give the first of your increase to the Lord. I challenge you to start this coming payday. If you get a check for $75, write a check for $750. PayPal, $750. Tithe on every single thing and watch and see what God does. It may be materialistic. It may be something totally different that you can't even put a value on like family members or your relationships or your marriage or something like that, then watch and see how the Lord provides everything you need. There are three levels of giving. 
There's first level of tithing, which is returning the first 10% of our increase to the Lord. Then there's extravagant giving, which is the next level. And this isn't like a pyramid thing where, you know, you go up different levels. But I'm just telling you, there, when, when people begin to tithe and they begin to experience the joy and the blessings of giving, a lot of people want to give more. And you know what's astounding to me is I've seen people that maybe didn't have a job or whatever, and they get a job and they begin to tithe, and then they start doing okay, and then they just quit tithing. I'm like, why would they do that? I remember a lady came to our church in Corpus, and she she had stage four cancer, and we prayed for her. And she came back some time later, and she said, God healed me. God healed me. She said, I went to the doctor. Not only was there no cancer, but there was not even a trace of cancer in my bloodstream. They, uh, they couldn't even find, it's like it had never, ever been there. And I think she came and gave that testimony. I don't think we ever saw her again. I've got mine, God. And, and you know, this is what we do. We, we come before God and we say, God, here, here's a dollar. I, I, God, I'm, I'm giving you this dollar. Uh, you know, MasterCard is due. Let me give you some insight about that. MasterCard, have you ever thought about that? It makes you a slave to debt. <laughs> okay. My MasterCard is due. My mortgage is due. I've got two car payments. God, here, look, look, I'm giving you something. I'm giving you something. Here, take that. How do you think that makes God feel? I'm giving you everything, and you want to just throw a dollar? You want to throw some leftovers at me? How does that honor God? Is it, is it about money? No. It's about the heart. So there are three levels. Tithing is what we return to the Lord. And he promises to bless. And then there's extravagant giving, where we give above and beyond that. And then there's painful giving, where I've read accounts of people giving away everything. Give, giving away their home. Giving away everything in their 401k plan. Giving everything away in their savings. And then you see that God honors that and blesses that. Now, I'm not telling you to do this. You need to pray about it. But, uh, but then everything is returned to them twofold within a year or two. That they have everything that they gave plus. That's the kind of God that we serve. And if, if we miss this, if we miss the heart of God, we miss this whole thing. Because it's not about money. It's about our heart. But God wants to so richly bless us. He says, just try it. Just test me in this and watch what I do. Thank you for tuning into our broadcast. For more information, be sure to find us at our website at www.lifefellowship.me or call us at 832-864-2800. Have a great week and remember to live it. God bless you.